we said, hey, this is never scalable. I will never be able to retire in Bahamas. So what has to change? And that's where we bought our first franchise. Hey, investors, you're listening to the Investing to Win podcast, the show dedicated to empowering investors to achieve financial freedom and live your best life. This show is committed to offering honest conversation between investors, common sense strategies, real-time market updates, and professional guidance to achieving financial freedom. Investing doesn't have to be super hands-on or complicated. We are all about passive investments with real gain, so you have freedom of time and money. Your host is none other than Garrett Wong, who brings decades of experience in buying, renovating, and managing cash flow investment properties. Thanks for being here and get ready to invest to win. Welcome investment community. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Rafiq Punjani. It's a very, very interesting interview because we go into his few businesses that he has. He loves franchising. We pivot into real estate, but we really dive deep into the weeds about why and how he takes a structured approach to real estate investing. And I, I think it comes from his franchise experience. We also get into a few business principles and you're going to love it. So uh, stay tuned. It's a great episode. Hope you like it. Okay, welcome to our podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing a good friend and colleague, Rafiq Punjani. Rafiq, welcome. Thanks, Garrett. Lovely to be here. Yeah, so I appreciate you spending the uh, the time to with us to tr- sort of tell your story, and we'll uh, hang out for a little bit together and see where this takes us. Um, but for our audience, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story and your background? So, born and raised in Pakistan. Um, Life was tough. Uh, Parents worked hard, saved money for my education, and I could see them um, working hard in a society which was honestly not not going anywhere. (laughs) So uh, I got a good job uh, with Ernest & Young, moved to Dubai and Abu Dhabi, um, and worked there for about 10 years, me and my wife. That's a great place to um, live and work for a short period of time. You know, the, one of the challenges that we faced was that uh, as much as you work hard and save the money, you don't have much to invest that money in because as the foreign expatriate, you will never be a citizen there. So if you end up investing in something and the rules change, you lose your investment. And we had seen people gone through that. So we did not want to invest money there. So so what do you do? So, you know, sometimes If you end up having some savings, you either buy gold coins, but then you need a bank locker for that. And, you know, again, that's not the best. It's a a good 10% portfolio kind of thing, but your portfolio cannot be 80% gold coins. So, And we didn't know what else to do. So that was one of the reasons for us to then look for another country where we could immigrate to and then then invest. Also, there were some other reasons, uh, humanitarian and whatnot. We can go into details in, in in a different chat. But that led us to Canada in 2013. So we came here about nine, 10 years ago. I had a job. My wife initially, uh, she was also working. And, uh, you know, again, same thing. Uh, Middle class people were working hard and trying to save some money for future. But what we realized in Canada was that there's a lot of taxes. And we both being accountants, we said, hey, how can we not pay as much taxes as a like a regular person would do. Like, how can I use the system well to my to my knowledge? And uh, starting a business was 
the first thing where, you know, the rich dad, poor dad philosophy. So we started uh, our first company, uh, a bookkeeping company. And um, one thing that I learned, and I would love to share with your audience, that uh, any business which is not scalable, for example, a bookkeeping business where you are the business, it takes the same amount of hard work if you start a scalable business. Because starting a business is pretty much the same amount of hard work. Uh, we learned it the hard way. We didn't have any mentors. So that's another thing. Have a mentor who can who can tell you these things. Or if you're listening to Garrett's podcast, you are already on the right track. So now we started a bookkeeping company in the first two years, worked really hard, had a good client base. But then we reached a glass ceiling where we could not work any more hours. So we said, hey, what's going wrong here? I'm working so much, but I'm not getting a work-life balance. It was in a way I was the business. I was working in the business, not, not on it, right? And we said, hey, this is never scalable. I will never be able to retire in Bahamas. So what has to change? And that's where we started reading the right books and talking to the right people. And that's where we bought our first franchise. So we own a commercial janitorial franchise where we franchise other small businesses to, to start a cleaning company. Um, we now have over 50, uh, over 50 franchises in Winnipeg, which is now, you can see, scalable business, working same amount of time. But now we have a larger team. So that's that. And then, you know, after three years of running a good successful cleaning company, we again had saved some money and say, hey, what do we do with this saved money? So we started a home care company, which we also operate now. So we have two corporations and both companies, um, you know, pay us enough and, you know, we make enough savings that we say, hey, we have to do something for a more tangible investment out of this. And that's where I met people like Garrett and, uh, you know, in the local business community helped me bought my first home. And then um, taught me how to pull money out of the equity and buy my second home. And uh, yeah, uh, seven years down the line, we have uh, quite a, uh, a small portfolio, but uh, it's all right. Uh, we are working on the right track, I think. Amazing. Amazing. You know, when I met you several years ago, um, your group, your cleaning company was just getting into the PPMA. I believe I asked uh, your family member in, a, in another business meeting to, to join the PPMA, um, just for our listeners, the PPMA is the uh, Manitoba um, Professional Property Managers Association. And seeing your story, you know, the way you're investing in franchise was really, really intriguing to me. Tell, tell the audience why you chose to invest in a franchise versus, again, starting a cleaning business on your own. I, for, for two reasons, I think. See, we already had a bookkeeping company. And when we started the bookkeeping company, you know, you have no... Uh, you know, cash flow per se coming every month. So you try to save as much money as possible. And, you know, I was doing my own setting up the website, or even if I'm using the people to create a website, I had to keep an eye on a lot of processes of my own, you know, uh, leads coming in, or if a customer is calling, you have, to, you, you have to manage the sales process by yourself, and then service delivery as well. And every process you have to create. On top, you have to create your marketing plan. On top, you have to create, hey, which software is correct for me? And that is daunting. That is many times exhausting and doesn't leave you with much energy to actually make money in the business. So from that experience, and then also I had learned by that time that I'm a, I'm a hardworking guy. And if somebody gives me a process, I can, I can follow that. So when starting the cleaning company, we had a choice of starting our own company, but I did not know cleaning at all. I knew there was a demand in the cleaning space. So if I had an option of either learning cleaning of my own and the whole industry, 
or buying a franchise and leveraging the demand which is available today. If we had to start our own thing, it would have taken us two, three, maybe four years by the time to learn the industry well. But by that time, the other players would have already come. And I am glad that we did that because when we started uh, Anago Cleaning in 2016, in a way, Jani King was my only competition in Winnipeg. If I had taken my sweet time of starting my own company, it said three years, by 2019, JanPro was here, Coverall was here, you know, there were a few other players, right? So I think starting early with a franchise, having processes and starting fast gave us a head start and we captured uh, a better market at that time. Uh, also now, I know from franchising business that if you have the right franchise partner, that's also a thing, right? Like if you, it's not only about buying a franchise about buying the franchise so doing the right investigation initially choosing the right partners i remember when we were picking um, a cleaning company franchise app you know i met with a few others as well but one of the reasons why we bought anago was that the owners of anago was a very practicing christian family uh, they used to go once a year use their profits and savings from anago to work in some of the underprivileged african communities and that was the biggest thing. Maybe Anago was the was not the biggest company at that time. I could have bought another big company's franchise. But it's also about the values. I wanted to work with somebody whose values was whose values uh, and and vision was to help people just like I have. So looking at that in Anago, we purchased Anago, and since then we have a very good relationship with them. And now what it does, some people say, hey, franchising actually restricts you. To the contrary, for us, franchising has given us a path. And on that path, there have been times where we had to take a slight detour to make it more Winnipegized, that business, right? And our franchisor has always been very uh, accepting of that because we have that relationship, because we have the same vision. So I think initially uh, choosing the right franchise partner is key. Interesting. So basically what you're saying, because I mean... Everybody knows or, I mean, assumes there's there's a cost associated with a franchise. You have to buy the franchise. There's, I imagine, ongoing franchise fees, some things about, you know, paying for your share of advertising and things like that. But what you're talking about here is the concept of collapsing time. Mm -hmm. So you chose 100%. to invest money, your hard-earned money, into buying into a franchise, knowing and hoping that all of the... Well, I guess that's what you're paying for. You're paying for somebody else's experience. Would you agree with that? Hundred percent. Like, and uh, what also happens once you have purchased their thirty years worth of experience to kickstart your business, on an ongoing basis, also you are part of a very large team. Like, imagine going into twenty twenty COVID world in a cleaning industry where now your clients expect you of giving them the solutions for disinfecting, and if Rafiq had his own company. Could I still have come up with some solutions? Yeah, you know, I, I work hard, I read, I, I get myself educated. But with Anago, within three weeks, there was a marketing strategy that how will we educate and grow the business simultaneously? So on one hand, helping our clients, and then how to then make those clients our long-term clients. And within three weeks, we lost 50% of our recurring clients. But we also gained a lot of those clients which were never part of our system who now needed disinfection. But they only got attracted to us because we had a great marketing platform. And Anago came up with that for all their franchise territories 
like me. So last two years in cleaning industry have been challenging. Yes, just like everyone. But we have also reaped benefits of being in the right time at the right industry, right? And I think that all the money that we invested in the in the in 2016, uh, in a way, got uh, got somehow um, leveraged during this time, right? And and now we can we can expand our business even more. Well, that's that's great. So let's transition a little bit here. I mean, couple of couple of businesses, bookkeeping. You're obviously a really busy guy. Why invest in real estate? You know, uh, Garrett, I, I still remember that uh, when we first rented our space. Um, on uh, on Pemina Highway are, are like a first uh, proper commercial space for Anago cleaning. Uh, our landlord, wise guy, older gentleman, I would say in his late 50s, 60s, kind of, you know, a lot of experience uh, behind the years. And um, one day I saw him shoveling the the parking lot, Winnipeg, right? So winter. So, and I said, this guy comes in his convertible Mercedes but he's shoveling the backyard. Like, what's going on? How could he even have time to do this? So, you know, I invited him inside. He was obviously cold. We had a cup of coffee. And I said, uh, Robert, enlighten me. How do you have even time to shovel this thing? Like, why wouldn't you just outsource it? He said, oh, yeah, I don't work. I said, really? You don't work? What do you do? Like, I know I have to work to pay the mortgage if you own this building, where which I rent. You just pay the mortgage by the rent? Like, I didn't even get the concept at that time. He said, yeah, I have I have about 20-odd properties, out of which I would say 18 are fully paid off. This is one of them. And I collect rent, and I try to keep myself busy with the small jobs here and there. And if, if a job is big enough, obviously, I'll hire somebody. He said, wow, you have 20 properties. I could not even comprehend that at that time. He said, yeah. I said, you know what? I'll buy you dinner. Why don't you coach me how to even start? Like, I don't even know what to, what's the first step there. He said, deal, get it. That's the best 25 bucks I have ever spent. Best. Uh, great two hours of chat with somebody who was wise and knowledgeable. And he taught, he told me to save money for the first down payment, buy the property, location, location, location. Uh, when you buy the property, try to, you know, know your tenant beforehand. So if you want to rent it to a young couple who is working in downtown, but they will be you know, moving every couple of years, then you get a property close to downtown. But if you are looking to rent to somebody who you want them to be there for like five, six, seven years, get a property closer to a school and uh, maybe slightly away from downtown, close to a playground, you know, that kind of thing. He was giving me all those tips and I was taking mental notes. And and then I said, okay, uh, so first house, then what? And then he said, okay, you know, in three years time, they would have rented in rent paid enough mortgage for you and by the time you still save money that you have some equity and some of your own saving and buy your second one and then in next time it won't take three years it will only take two years because your two houses are being paid mortgage so he was in a way giving me a time lapse that the first house to second house will be a three-year gap from three to another two years will be another house and and he said Rafiq if you do this I can tell you in six to seven years, you will have six to seven houses or sooner if the market goes in your direction. I said, sure, let me attempt it. That was 2017. Uh, 2022, it's five years and we now have seven properties, two years beforehand because market was in our favor, right? The prices were going up. We used a line of credit and bought a couple of, uh, couple of more properties than what we had aimed for. What I'm trying to say here is that I think if we start just blank 
it will take longer. There is a path. There is a path. You know, people have walked that path before. But if we try to find that path ourselves, it will just take longer. But if we have mentors, if we are open to learning, you know, if we, there is a reason why God has given us two ears and one mouth, right? So listen, 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 implement it. And then one fine day, if somebody like Garrett is kind enough to invite you on a podcast, then you talk. But on all other places, you just listen and, and, and try to be a better person and better investor. Wow. Um, I, I think that the audience is, I hope they're taking notes because I certainly am. You know, you seem to have a very structured approach to everything you do. And I assume part of that is being Rafiq. But part of it is probably the structure in owning a franchise with your experience. Tell our audience how being a franchisee has affected the way you approach real estate investment. Hmm. So I've never been a micromanager and I don't like details. But business needs details and, and processes, right? So that was one of the reasons why we got into franchising, so that they give us processes. I don't have to reinvent anything, and we'll just follow. What we try to do in our real estate world is that we we look for a system. You know, we look for a simple system of looking for good detached properties. That's it. So I hear so much about, uh, oh, you'll get better value in duplexes, or some people say uh, you should look for this and look for that, and great, you know, it works for them. But I don't want to do everything. I don't have to do everything. We think that the process that we have is single detached homes in safe neighborhoods, good homes, newer looking homes, not 150-year-old homes, but maybe only 50-year-old homes, which gives us good value. Once we have figured out that system, it's just like franchising process you just keep on doing it also what we learned that in our franchising world there are certain things our franchisors do which saves us time to do to allow us to do what we do really well um, in my world we have an accountant although i'm an accountant i don't do my own taxes i don't do my own accounting we have an accountant they do the accounting um, we have a lawyer we have a, a real estate broker, we have a mortgage guy, we have a property management company. Like These are four or five strong partners you need for you to then focus on finding the right property and working with your bank to, to get to the next property. I think franchising has taught me that. And uh, and also a lot of a lot of people like you get it. Like, you know, when I, I still remember that when I first met with you, having this comfort that I have knowledgeable people around me has taught me so much. Like every time when I'm buying the next property, I'm not worried about who will manage it. Because if I'm thinking about I'll get another, I'll get more calls in the middle of the night from my tenants, or if somebody will stop paying, uh, oh my God, how will I go to RTB? I remember when one of my properties, the tenant stopped paying. Garrett, you guys managed it. And that was a pain in the, uh, you know, for for so many months. And you guys resolved that in just a couple of weeks, right? And that comfort that having the right partner allows me to buy the next property without the fear of losing my midnight sleep. So franchising, a process, a system, real estate, a process, a system. Once the process is there, then it just works like a machine. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you've got your checklists, your processes. I mean, I, I know that as a small business owner, I mean, you know my background, I used to be in science, and uh, that has a little bit of process there, but certainly it's not business. And I, I do wish, um, because you know I've been doing this for about 25 years, that maybe I could have bought into a property management franchise or a business franchise, or at least had a mentor, uh, because everything I know here is the school of hard knocks, and it was years and years and years of sweat and blood and tears before coming to this point. And even then, I still continue to learn 
Um, and I'm doing the same thing you do. I have mentors. I, I speak to people. I, I listen uh, rather than speaking. Did you know that there is a big difference between investing in real estate and becoming a real estate investor? People become real estate investors all the time. They get into a flip or conversion project or even dealing with long-term tenants. And they come back to us to tell us the same thing. It's like having another full-time job. I don't know about you, but that's not what we call investing. Investing in real estate is about having your money work for you in a way that is passive, consistent, most importantly, hands-off. So which one are you? Do you want to be a real estate investor or do you want to invest in real estate? For those that are open to investing in real estate and having your money work for you, listen up. Garrett Wong has spent decades helping thousands of property owners navigate the ins and outs of property investing and management through his award-winning company, Upper Edge Property Management. Their new division, Upper Edge Capital, is currently involved in multiple projects, from single-family flips to multifamily development. Are you looking for a healthy return on your invested capital? Or perhaps becoming a joint venture partner? If so, go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to book a time to speak with Garrett and his team to see if there is a fit. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. Now back to the show. So, you know, real estate in particular property management is extremely fluid. You never know what the next day is going to bring. Um, again, from a franchisee's mindset, how do you approach the day-to-day stresses of what could happen in real estate? I don't. Um, the property management partners that we have, they do. Um, and uh, they do a very good job at that. I think my my job is to to make sure that I don't get stressed. Right? There are times when market is going up. And um, you are worried about, should I buy? Should I not buy? Whether, will I buy at the wrong price? And I think that if I'm buying for long run, like if I'm buying to buy and hold and rent, if that's the strategy, then in 10 years time, I'll be cursing myself if I don't buy. If I end up buying for ten dollars or $20,000 more, in 10 years time, I won't care. But for now, it is about buying at a set time. So every Every one year or every 10 months or every two years, whatever is the audience's frequency of buying the next property, go with that frequency. And then, you know, there are times when market is too high and nobody's buying. That's the best time to buy. Yes, interest rates will be high. Get variable at that time. Don't lock yourself up, but you'll get, you may end up paying, for example, $500 more towards your interest. Sure. Okay, good. For about 18 months, if you do that, what, 10,000 bucks? But you'll get great deals on properties. You may end up saving 30, 40 grand on a property by paying $10,000 more interest. That's a great deal. So getting a property regularly is important. Not trying to time the market. I think that is my job so that I don't get distracted by interest rates and property prices going up or down. My job is to be focused on looking for the next property according to my timeline because see timeline is important we have made a financial plan that if we end up buying x number of properties when i am x number of years then that's enough for my for my retirement nest now you know even billionaires are still trying to make more money right so no money is ever enough if the listener's goal is to make unlimited amount of money i'm the wrong guy to listen to but if your plan is to have 
a work-life balance where you say, I have enough to feed my family today and I'm saving enough for my children and for myself for the future, then make a plan. And if that plan says, hey, buy 20 properties in 20 years, sure, start soon so that you have that those 20 years, right? And then once you have those 20 properties, don't look for the 21st because then it's a never-ending journey. Billionaires are still working hard to make more money. And and again, that's that's how I train my mind. I say, don't get distracted, focus on the plan. And I think our plan right now is that if we work for another 10-ish year in this way that we are right now, and you know the, the properties that we are uh, getting, we may um, get to our plan by 55-ish, um, you know, in about 10, 12 years. And that's where I'll say, okay, can I use the remaining savings and equity now to pay off one property? And the next year, pay off the second property. And then the th- pay off the third property. And that way, in next five to six years, we'll try to pay off as many properties as possible so that now the rent that comes in, that becomes my retirement income. And then I can have a quality of life. Can I actually get to 40 properties? Maybe yes. Can I get to 100 properties? Maybe yes. But do I have to? That's the question. Do I have to? What I need is peace of mind. And if enough gives me peace of mind, that's what I'm aiming for. Okay. So to summarize it then, the way I've, I've been listening here, you, you have franchises. You've got a franchisee's mindset. You have a plan, long and short term. You're sticking to it. And you're being disciplined about it. Um, but let, let me throw a, a curveball at you here because not all plans go to, uh, you know, come to fruition, as you know. Um, and they, you know, in business, they have something called the pivot. So how, how do you deal with unexpected things that might um, upset your plans and have you go in a slightly different direction? Uh, by working hard. Um, you know, working hard is a, is a very broad term, but Everybody applies that to their situation. I'll give you an example. Um, you know, curveball, talking about curveballs, COVID uh, two years back uh, gave all of us our shares, our share of that. And um, losing over 50% of our recurring commercial cleaning clients in two weeks' time was, was challenging, to say the least. Because when all offices were closed, everybody was working from home, nobody was needing office cleaning per se. So every day we'll get dozens of letters saying we are closing the office, no need for cleaners to come, and you lose 50% of your business in three weeks. Now what do you do? You work hard. And those three weeks we worked a lot in terms of getting ourselves educated. I got my biohazard advisory council certification from International Sanitary and Supply Association. So now I'm a GBAC certified guy. That certification now remains with me. COVID is over. But that remains with me. So now when I go for a proposal, when I meet with John and I say, hey, John, and I go cleaning company, I'm the owner, and I'm GBAC certified, I know what I'm talking about. I have this edge over my competition for the rest of my life, right? Working hard during that time and then pivoting going into disinfection was buying the inventory, learning about the disinfection procedures, training our cleaners on that. That first two months of COVID was no income and maybe three times of expenses. But once we did that hard work and pivoted as required, the the next two years, we not only got the initial investment back and made some money, but we cannot lose focus. We cannot get stressed by saying, oh my God, I lost 50% of my clients and I can't sleep and I can't eat and who will pay the bill? 
some people went through that and i'm fortunate i didn't and i think one of the reasons i didn't because i have a i have a good team you know my my family is a family run business we all value each other really well we all support each other well i think there has to be a village there has to be a cohort there has to be a caravan you know if you 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 may go fast if you go alone but you know you'll go long if you if you have a team that's how i see it you know that you uh, <laughs> i actually had that as one of the questions i wanted to ask you you know Let's pivot into uh, partnerships. You have family as partners, which can even be more, you know, more volatile than friends or even other types of partners. And in real estate, um, I think our audience might be interested because real estate is all about partners, your joint venture partners, your business partners, you know, family members. What is your approach to making and cultivating a successful partnership in your business, you know, maybe specifically to your franchise and family partners, et cetera? Yeah, uh, we we had our share of challenges as well. Who doesn't, right? Um, there is a, there is a reason why people say don't do business with family. But I always believed that if I had to trust somebody, because you have to trust in business, right? If you have to trust somebody, you know, with our family, we trust with our lives, right? They are in our wills. They they have the they have the keys to our homes. You know, they, we we live together, we eat together. So if we can't trust them, then who else I can trust? So we started with that. And, uh, you know, there were a couple of things that didn't work and a couple of things that did work really, really well. And if I could go back in time, I will do all over that again, because the positives outweigh the negatives, at least for me. And I think the reason it worked because we were always very transparent and honest with each other. Um, we all are strong people. We all, we all, I think, are smart people and bring a lot to the table. So I think I have to leave my ego outside the management office when I'm meeting with my partners. And if somebody brings a good point to the table, which is contrary to mine, I should have the balls to say, you are right, I'm wrong. And if we do that, then the other person feels valued and, and then it's a teamwork. If I keep on shutting down others and if I just say I'm the boss and we'll do it this way, then there is no way we can cultivate a knowledge-based partnership. So why I call it a knowledge-based partnership? In our world, in our in our small team here, we are four partners. And interestingly, we all four bring a unique skill set. So I I take care of the community relationships, for making new relationships, sales, you know, making friends outside who will help us in our endeavors, right? That is my job. Um, my wife, being an accountant, she takes care of the accounting side of our business. She also worked in, in a legal firm, so she takes care of our law and HR. My brother-in-law, he's an ex-IBM guy, so he takes care of all the processes and IT. And my sister, being a nurse, she takes care of our home care service delivery and our cleaning trainings. So we all four bring a very unique skill set to the management table. One thing key that we did, which I don't see many people do, is that we all gave veto to each other. So yes, for example, if I want to, hey, should I get a PPMA membership or not? And yes, we talk about it. And the other three may say, no, don't spend that money. But being a sales veto, I can still say, I'm going to do it. Do we use that veto a lot? No, hardly, maybe twice or thrice in past six years. But having that veto give us power that we can, we can add value based on the knowledge that we bring to the table. And I think that has been that has been a defining factor in our relationship. We still had our tough days. There have been times where we had uh, shouted and screamed on each other, 
but we all knew that the other person is right now being very passionate about it because he or she is very passionate about the company that I co-owned, right? And uh, and I really value that. Now, on the other side, there are a couple of partnerships that did not work, you know, within our family. And we tr- we tried to we tried to bring a couple of other partners so that you know they could also get b- benefit and value out of the growing business. And their their dreams were different. I think one thing which I'll tell your audience is if you go in this direction, have an exit strategy. Agree with everyone that if you have to part ways, it should not be at the expense of anybody's feelings. And you know if it is only objective departure, you can sit down and say, hey, it's not working rather than storming out you know and if you if you talk about it it can be done wow i i'm taking notes here because uh, i'm i'm learning just as much so i i just want to sort of backtrack and get into the weeds on what you just said so you have like did you formalize this veto um concept with your partnership or did it kind of just evolve uh kind of both like it's not that on day one we said we'll only become partners if there is a veto. But we initially became partners and, you know, the a couple of partners were new to business. And initially they were all listening, listening, listening and, and absorbing and trying to add as much value as they can. But, you know, six months down the line or, or a year down the line, we could see, like me and my wife, we were the earlier partners. We could see that my sister and my, my brother-in-law, who are the other two partners, they have learned enough. They have caught up. And... Uh, they are adding value. And, you know, there have been a couple of times where kindly but assertively they told us that, hey, sometimes I feel that you don't listen to what I'm saying, but I'm telling you this is the right thing to do for the business. And I said, wow, you know what? I'm glad that today when you told this to me, I was in a good mood and I'm listening to it. What if in one day I'm not in a good mood and I don't listen to you? We need to have a process around it so that if it is your area and you want to get heard or you want to implement something which you think is right for the business, you should have a veto on that. And and that's how it started a little later in the partnership based on learning. And, and that, that's a good point. I'm glad you raised that because we all should continue to learn. I think. I think future is a knowledge society. And the day when we stop learning, either from our experiences or from reading books or listening to podcasts or audible books or whatever, the day when we say, I don't have time to learn, it's just like you say that, uh, you know, I'm driving very fast and I don't have time to stop for refueling my car. You have to refuel because the next turn or the, the next junction everything is so different. You know, you, you mentioned about the curveball and the pivots. If we are not ready, how will we make those changes? Like, you know, people say 2023 will be a recession or, you know, the new world order and a new global currency and reserve currency. Wow, a lot of theories. How does Garrett and Rafiq and the listeners plan for it? Because when those days will come, everybody, in a way, is on its own or within the small cohorts. And more knowledgeable we are about those things, we'll be able to better protect ourselves, our investments. And our families. See, think about it. Think about it. In every family, for example, there is somebody who you go to when you have a medical-related question, right? There is a doctor. There is a nurse. There is there is somebody who is medicine. And if you have a medicine question before going to your doctor, you give your give them a call, right? Hey, this is going on. What do you think, right? Similarly, we, the listeners here, and me and Garrett, you, we are kind of the investment and finance people, right? When the world will be falling, your friends and family will call you and say, hey, this is what's happening with my investments or what should I do next? They will rely on us and we have to be educated enough to be able to 
to the best of our ability, guide them. That's the definition of a cohort. Like, how can we rely on others for their skills, but we say, I'm not learning anything new, because who cares? We have to, it is, it is our responsibility to be able to help the people around us when they ask us questions about the field of our interest. And that's where I think that uh, we learn from our things. We still today learn from, from our, our experiences and we continue to, we have to, there, there is no choice. Yeah, no, I, I, I tend to agree. Um, I mean, learning and continual learning is important. Uh, otherwise you get stale and then you become non-relevant. So, so let me ask you this. How do you keep your axe sharp? I mean, how do you gather knowledge and improve? What do you do? So I, for the, for the most part of my life, I always thought books are not for me. Um, I could never read more than a few pages. I would doze off. Um, I, I could not read. Uh, and, and that's why I, I lost a lot of my time just believing that because I cannot read. And then I stumbled upon Audible, audiobooks, right? I think it's a, it's a few years old thing, but I'm glad that it came in my lifetime because that has changed the, the trajectory of my learning. So now what I do is when I go for a long walk, um, my my exercise regime is walking. I don't like weights. That's or I don't like running. That's like that's too much. Anything is too strenuous is too much for me. So I like long walks. And when I go for a long walk, I think my mo- motive is more to listen to my audible book than actually to walk. So walk is a byproduct of when I'm trying to consume my my book. And sometimes I'll go for a three-hour walk. On an average, I go for an hour walk and uh, I listen to my books. And that could range from uh, anything from emotional development to world affairs to uh, financial and business planning. And I sometimes feel that every new book uh, connects the dots more. Like a book which I read three years ago, I only knew so much. But in the past three years, I have learned so much more that if I read the same book again, I'll get more sense out of it, if, if, if it makes sense. So yeah, I, I listen to everything, you know, from from geography. Very recently, I, I read a phenomenal book, Prisoners of Geography. And that, is, that has become among the top five uh, books I've ever read. Um, you know, highly recommended. Written in 2015, where the author already already said Russia will invade Ukraine. And in 2015, if somebody would have said that, I would have said, wow, really? Why do you say that? But but that happened, right, in 2022. And, you know, when you read a book like that, where the author had that kind of an insight, and he gives you 10 other insights, now you listen, now you listen more intently because what he's saying may also happen, right? So, yeah, I think, uh, so reading is one way. I also really enjoy my chats, uh, Garrett. When I, when I go for my business meetings it's not too much how can i get another client like you know we have gone a few times garrett you know that um we both ask open-ended questions try to learn from each other right what's going on in your business what's going on in my business what are you doing to uh, improve it you know have you made a new friend or how do you do networking these days like you know learning just like i'm 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 reading the book which garrett would have written you know, and uh, listening to podcasts uh, is is another way of doing that, and I'm I'm glad that your audience are doing that right now. Yeah, no, I, you touched on something. You know, you're you're doing self care at the same time that you're doing self improvement. Um, I love audiobooks. Uh, I spend a lot of time in the car. 
Um, and if I'm not catching up on sales calls or, or dealing with my clients, I put an audio book on. And, and sometimes, to be honest, sometimes it's just fiction because <laughs> late at night, I just want to hear about something that's not real life, you know? So that's, that's where I, uh, that's where I go. But yeah, I mean, for, for productivity and your life, what, what would you say you've removed from your life that's made you more productive? Hmm. I think watching TV is one thing which we used to binge watch a lot. And I think that it's not purposefully we have stopped watching TV, which has made us more uh, productive. I think we have um, signed up on a lot more things, which, to be honest, doesn't allow me that much time to watch TV. I still watch some. Um, but but now I sit on three different boards. I have, uh, um, I have founded a not-for-profit group to help older adults in Winnipeg. It's, it's three years and, and four, actually fourth year running now. I volunteer on uh, two different organizations to mentor, uh, ambassador, to become the Canadian ambassador uh, for new immigrants. Um, so, you know, stuff like that, that takes a lot of my time over the weekends. I also volunteer at my mosque. I, I, I remember that, you know, when we were, I was at Ernest & Young and managers, we all of us, so I was one of the managers and we managers had a thing. We said, if you want to give a task and you go outside in the staff area, Never give task to somebody who is sitting idle. Give the task to somebody who is already very busy. Because the person who is busy, there is a reason why he is busy. Somebody has given him task and the person is actually doing it right now. And they will do it more responsibly. And the person who is not doing and sitting idle right now, there is a reason why he is sitting idle. And I, I took it to my heart. I always <laughs> try to be very, very busy now because I think it's good for my mental health. I think it's good for my family, my my society. Like, you know, Canada has given me so much. And I think the least I can do for Canada is to to volunteer a little bit of my time, right? And uh, sitting on a few boards, whatever I have learned in my life, uh, adding value to those organizations, because all, these are all not-for-profit organizations. And I think uh, we owe it to we owe it to our, our countries. If, if your listeners are from a different country, wherever you are, whatever society you are in, I think strong civic societies hold our elected officials in check we will not be able to even question them if we are not educated to the grassroots challenges of what our societies are and to be honest in in for example in canada right now older adults and senior care is a huge challenge and that's very close to my heart seeing my grandparents going through that journey and uh, i want to do more about that i want to educate people i want to make our officials uh, in line with the needs. And if I don't sit on boards, how can I do that? So so many people complain about government is not doing anything, but they don't know anything about that either, right? We are the system and we have to be part of the civic society. Strong civic society, strong country. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. It's uh, higher purposes is, is really what drives us. And um, I don't watch a lot of TV either because I keep myself so busy. And uh, I think life balance that you have is admirable. You know, you're a busy guy, a couple of businesses, you still find time go, to go for a walk and keep healthy. Um, so before we wrap up, um, I ask every guest on this question and I'd like to hear what you have to say. So uh, this is the win podcast. How do you define success and what does winning look like for you? For me, the balance between my physical 
and my spiritual life is very important. So if I am unable to keep that balance, it means even if I am the richest person, uh, I think I, I have failed. So I have to find that balance. So, so for me, I wake up every morning at 4 a.m. I've been doing it for over five years now. And that's my morning meditation time, and that's a spiritual meditation, and I do that for 90 minutes. I go to my mosque every day, at least I try, I would say 29 days out of 30 days in the evening. So my, my day starts with spirituality, my day ends with spirituality, and in the middle of the day, I work hard. Uh, but if I do both these things, at the end of the day, when I, when I go to bed, I feel that I have kept that balance. And I think it also keeps me grounded because there are times when we have a successful day and at times we, we humans feel that it's all because of me. And, you know, when, I, when I'm trying to connect to the higher powers, I feel that it's not me only. Yes, we, it's our job to work hard. But, you know, as they say, the department of results does not lie with me. Uh, so my job, my, I'm department of hard work and department of results is is somewhere else. And if I get those results, I should be able to say thank you. I should be able to have at least time to think about it so that I can say thank you. And if I am so busy that I don't have time to even think about it, how will I find time to say thank you? So uh, for me, the win is if I have balance between my physical and spiritual life. I love it. I love it. You know, um, I ask this question a lot and it's, it is pretty rare when somebody says the amount of dollars in my bank, you know, um, I think we're all, uh, similar in that way. Well, Rafiq, I'd, I'd like to really thank you for spending this time with me and our, and our audience. And, uh, I know you're a busy guy and yeah, I can't thank you enough. I really appreciate it. And I must say, thank God, the, the, the kind of content you are creating, this is the kind of content that changed my life and I'm sure that you are changing many lives. So thank you for that. All right. Well, we'll catch up with you later. You take care. Wonderful. Thank you, sir. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Investing to Win podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If this episode made you think of another investor, take a screenshot and share this podcast episode with them. Investing to Win is not only about helping you to win more, but WIN actually stands for Wise Investors Network. It's where we help our investors build a hands-off portfolio and have passive investments work for them. To see how you can potentially partner with us, go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to learn more. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. All links can be found in the description below. Until next time.